Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So thankful that you are listening to the broadcast today. And you know, the reason we started this uh, whole ministry called Hope for Your Heart is to hopefully, with God's Word, encourage you to lift you up. Because you know, there's a lot of people off of this courage today and kind of downhearted and discouraged. And listen, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we are really invincible until God's done with us. And sometimes I get worried about the future, but I realize that I shouldn't worry about the future. God's got that under control. And so today we're talking about this whole subject of how we can have a game changer in our lives. You know, game changers will come together when you pull together with somebody else, get involved in a team, because you're never meant to walk the Christian life by yourself. You know, the Commonwealth of Virginia, we have actually outlawed solitary confinement. Uh, We've defined that as cruel and unusual punishment. So if somebody says to you, uh, they're in our penal system, that they put me in solitary confinement, they are lying to you. It doesn't happen. And uh, it's against the law here in the Commonwealth. Now, uh, we we could be in a cell by yourself, but you're not isolated. Uh, You're given some time to get out and all that. And so that's a form of cruel and unusual punishment. And I don't know about you, but I've discovered that we get kind of weird if we spend too much time just by ourselves, okay? And so we need one another. We need to pull together. We need to be with others. And I talked about the benefit of being involved in a team, right? And how that a shared belief creates a team with vision and uh, purpose. So generally teams gather around that are effective. Uh, the most effective teams have a clear vision. And number two, we talked about the fact that uh, a shared belief creates a team of strength, of will. And if we're all on the same page, that we work together and our wills are united, and we can have this relentless effort that says we can do whatever it takes. And I think about our church in the early days. We were determined to get out of the Hickory Roarding Club. Now, we thank the Lord for the Hickory Roarding Club. We set up and tore down every Sunday and every Wednesday night for seven long years. And we were determined to get out of that building as soon as possible. Uh, They wanted us out. We wanted out. And so we had this will to get out of the Roarding Club. And that made it a little easier to raise money and to work long hours uh, because the team all united around it. And then there's a third thing or a third benefit that as we gather together and pull together, that shared belief creates a team of resilience, right? A team that responds and performs in the face of adversity And that team will get better and better as it gets harder and harder. Now, you've probably seen this in your life. And I I want you to remember, if you're going through a hard time, don't let that hard time separate you from somebody you love. Let that hard time unite you. You know, I was doing some research and found that parents who have special needs children have a divorce rate of about 85%. Uh, It's one of the highest rates of divorce. Uh, parents that, that have a child that is, is uh, special needs, and the, and the lower functioning that child, the higher the rate of divorce. Well, you know, you can, you can use that as an excuse. Uh, and you can say, okay, I didn't sign up for this. You, you know, neither did your spouse. Uh, but you can go down that path and go down the conventional wisdom of, okay, this gives us a reason to bail out. Or you can say, God's allowed us to have this child in our lives that may be with us the rest of our lives. And let's use that as a reason to draw us together, to come together with a sense of resilience. And don't look at it as something to tear you apart. Look at it as something to pull you together. So when we think about pulling together, a shared belief team that is a a successful team has a vision of clarity and purpose. They will join together with their strength of will, and they will have resilience 
as they come against adversity and they refuse to let adversity tear them apart. Instead, they let adversity draw them together because the harder things get, the better they are together. And then number four, a shared belief ignites and activates a team. A team gives its full access to its collective talent. In other words, nobody's holding out and uh, they're all joining together. And this belief actually ignites all the team's capacities, realizing that we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, and so we don't get jealous of the strengths of others. We actually encourage others in their areas of strength. So when we think about the church and we think about how your life can have a game changer, this is how we mature. We mature in the Lord as we come together with other believers. Now listen, it would be simple to live the Christian life if I didn't have to live with other Christians. If I could just do my own thing like it never affected me and didn't have to worry about dealing with other believers, life would be simple, but I would never grow up. It's kind of like I could be a great husband if I never got married. Now you think about that for just a moment. A lot of people are living out their Christian life that way. They're saying, I'm a great Christian, but I'm not involved in the church. It's like saying, I could be a great dad if I didn't have kids. I remember when we were in seminary, I had a guy who was a good friend of mine. He and I would joke around, and, and he'd always kid around and say, you know, ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. Well, ministry is people. The Christian life involves people. Listen, it's the work of Christ bringing us together. So today I want to talk about how we can be unified, how we can have a game changer by maturing in our faith. So let me give you a couple verses, and then we'll make some comments. And uh, it won't be a real deep study, I promise you, but I want to kind of give you a surface understanding of what maturity looks like. Ephesians 4.12 says that God has given to the church, that body of Christ, different people for works of service. And he says he does this until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. Then you will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. We will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So a few thoughts about this passage. Here Paul likens believers as part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head. Now you only have one head, a two-headed being, a two-headed person. That'd be a freak of nature, right? And so there's one head that is Christ. But then you look at how the rest of the body is. As we mature, we work together, right? There's two arms, two legs, two feet, etc., And so we are to speak the truth in love. We become, in every respect, mature. So when my right hand learns to get along with my left hand, we certainly can do a whole lot more. You ever try to lift up something with one hand? I'm talking about a box. Try to lift up a box with one hand. It's virtually impossible, right? You got to try to slide it against the wall or something to kind of slide it up. It's so much easier to lift up that box when you put one hand on one side of the box, the other hand on the other side of the box, and then you lift it up. That is what maturity is. Maturity is not saying, I got this by myself. Maturity is working together. As a matter of fact, God has given us spiritual leaders within the church to help us with growing up. Well, here's another passage. Colossians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Jesus, who is called justice, also sends greetings, 
These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have provided a comfort to me. And Paul is talking about those who have come along and, and encouraged him. And now this is the New International Version. And then he mentions Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Paul says, I can vouch for him. He is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea. In other words, he's working diligently, fervently praying. When I think about spiritual maturity, it is others-focused. Not others-pleasing, but focused on encouraging others. Here, Epaphras is a servant, and he's sending greetings, and, and he's praying, and he's wrestling in prayer. You know, as I am recording this broadcast, my daughter is in the hospital right now, and I just got a text from my wife. She's been in labor all night and all morning. And, uh, and they said, now, if this little boy doesn't come within the next 30 minutes because her water is broken and, and she's starting to bleed a little bit, and said, if he doesn't come within 30 minutes, they're going to have to do a C-section, okay? And so I'm praying that, that he will uh, get turned around the right way and come on down that birth canal uh, to avoid having to go through uh, a C-section. But when we think about that, I've got people all over praying for her. I've got at least 20 people in my prayer call, and I've got another 25 or 30 people on my small group uh, list that are praying for her. That's just people that I know directly that are praying for her, not to mention uh, their friends and, and all that who are praying for her. You know, there's power in prayer, and a mature person will be praying for others, just as Epaphras was wrestling in prayer, Paul says, for the Colossae believers. And what is he doing? What is he praying for? That they would stand firm in the will of God, that they'd be matured, that'd be fully assured, that they wouldn't be driven by every wind and doctrine. Well, let's look at another passage. We looked at Ephesians 4. We've looked at Colossians 4. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 13. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use get this, have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Now listen, if you're listening to my voice and you're having a hard time figuring out what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what is evil, I I say this with the utmost respect, but it's because you haven't grown up. You have not matured. You're still an infant. You're not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. You need solid food, but you can't handle that solid food because you're still immature. Listen, God wants us to grow up, not just grow old, to grow up to become like Christ. We do that as we get into God's Word, as we get into the meat of God's Word, and we know that we're in God's Word because we can distinguish between good and evil. There's no gray area about what's right and wrong. James also talks about this matter of maturity, right? And he says in James 1 verse number 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Oh, I love that word, perseverance. He goes on by saying, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, he makes a very important point here. If you're a person who lacks perseverance, you're not allowing your faith to be produced. Your faith is small. Listen, when you get saved, you have saving faith. I mean, it's a a faith that is in a small measure, but it's a beginning point. 
And Jesus talks about that little faith, right? If the you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, get into the sea, and it'll be done. That little faith, that mustard seed faith, I think is saving faith because you were lost, but now you're found. You were reconcilable with God. There was no way you're going to have a relationship with him. It was out of the question. You couldn't work hard enough. You couldn't be good enough. It was impossible. But then God ignites faith in you, and you believe. You receive that free gift of salvation. That is called saving faith. It's the faith of a child. But then that faith should develop. It should develop as you are put under pressure. You will produce perseverance. So you don't get out from under things. You know what really breaks my heart when I think about Christians and their lack of perseverance? Did you know that the average Christian will only stay in a church three years? That's it. Three years to five years is usually the average. Usually a little closer to three. Three to five years, and then they're out of there, right? Why is that? Now, I know sometimes that happens, but I don't think most of the time it just happens. I think most of the time we kind of, ah, you know, uh, I'm kind of over this place because pressure comes and, and maybe we don't feel like they are recognizing us. Maybe our ego has been deflated. And, and so as a result, I got to go somewhere else, right? Uh, and, and then we look inward and says, well, I'm not getting fed here. I don't like to worship here. I don't like, to, like the, I don't like the pastor here. I don't like the way this ministry is going. I don't like the way that's going. And so we leave, right? We lack that persistence. We do the same thing with marriages, right? Uh, we do the same thing with our jobs. We do the same thing oftentimes with where we live, right? We, we lack that contentment. You know, contentment, godliness with contentment is of much gain. You will never be content without perseverance. Well, I want to look at a couple of verses when it comes to spiritual maturity, Okay. You know, the Bible talks a lot about spiritual maturity and growing up in Christ. But what does this mean? Here's a couple of verses, okay? Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, talking about leaving the elementary doctrines of Christ and going on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment, all this will do if God permits. Now, here we see something interesting. That word therefore begins at verse number one. You know, whenever you see that word therefore, you got to ask yourself, well, why is it there? It's always there to tell us what previously was said. Look at the verses prior to that word. In this case, it was the uh, Hebrew chapter five in which there's this warning that is given. And the warning is against apostasy. Now, apostasy is kind of like a revolt, or it's leaving, abandoning the basic truths and the principles of the Bible, and it's basically talking about the biblical principles about salvation. Uh, So the way to spot apostasy is that you leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, and you go on to maturity. So the author of Hebrews is telling us to move on from what we already know about the essential doctrines of grace and not to go backwards into any kind of man-made rules or any kind of man-made regulations such as those that were contained within the Mosaic laws, okay? Don't go back to that. You have been saved from that. Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law. I fulfilled the law. The law is fulfilled because Christ paid the sacrifice for our sins. So the elementary truth is you're born again. And now we time to move on from those elementary truths to deeper truths. And so he says, move on to maturity, and even talks about don't get hung up on these non-essential things, right? 
And as you go through the maturing process, you're going to discover this will happen, right? And you probably know if somebody did this happened to, maybe it even happened to you. And you get saved, and after a few years, all of a sudden, this new doctrine comes in. And you think that you have a new doctrine that your pastor is missing, that your congregation is missing, and then you get frustrated because they don't see it like you see it. And then you get to the point where you look in, and the enemy will begin to snicker, and the enemy will say, I'm going to get you separated from the body of Christ, and we're going to do it on this alleged doctrinal differences. And and, and then you get out there, and, and I had a guy actually left our church many years ago. Uh, because he didn't feel like uh, I was uh, Calvinistic enough. And, and another guy who, who thought just the opposite. I was too Calvinistic. And, and and I said, now listen, guys have been debating these things for eons. And I says, there's a simple way to look at this thing. God chose me before the foundations of the world. And on the other hand, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he chose me and I chose him. How those two things come together, I'm not exactly sure. It's kind of like trying to explain the, the Trinity and how Jesus is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and trying to explain the deity of Christ. Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. Well, how can you be 100% of both? By faith, I believe that. By faith, I believe God chose me before the foundation of the world. By faith, I believe I chose him. And so we bring those two together. Don't split over those things. The bottom line is your salvation is made available because of the mercy of God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, shed on Calvary two years ago. It's based on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg of you, receive that free gift. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Well, let's talk more about maturity, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is writing, and he says, Now, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil but in your thinking, be mature. So I want to expand a little bit further on this verse. We talked about it just a minute ago. Here is where Paul is contrasting maturity to that of being children, but not in being childlike. We are to be like children as far as our faith is concerned, but not childish in the sense of being foolish like children who are young. You know, as we look at the context of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it's talking about the church at Corinth, and it's trying to say that they were superior to others because they had certain gifts that the others didn't have. I guess you could say it's similar to two boys saying, my dad can beat up your dad, right? Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to feel superior to the others who had what they thought were superior gifts compared to those other church members. At the same time, He wanted them to be childlike regarding what is evil in the sense that they are to avoid it in their thinking. Act like an adult, not like a child. And as you look at that, you discover that you will be much different. You'll be much more mature. Brothers, don't be like children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Now, this next verse that I want to look at is found in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 through 14, and it's kind of a convicting verse because I think it speaks to so many within the church. And it's with a note of sadness that I even read this verse. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. You know, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need somebody to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, 
For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. As I look at these verses and and the verses that follow, uh, many in the church were apparently satisfied with the basic principles, the basic oracles, or the basic teachings of God, and they didn't want to move on. They were happy to be babies, right? Uh, Sassy, fat babies, and just drinking the milk of the word. Uh, there's this type of laziness that I see uh, with this particular person, and and they don't want to dig deeper into God's word. And anyone still drinking milk is not going to grow, and and they're going to forever remain unskilled in the word of righteousness. And and by remaining immature, they will not be able to distinguish good from evil or sound doctrine from the the doctrine of the apostates and evil teachings. You see many false teachers that are out there today, and perhaps even more prevalent today than ever before, uh, they are not teaching the Word of God. They're giving sound bites, they're taking passages out of Scripture and building systems around it, and unfortunately, many people, because we're not mature, don't even see it. Oh, well, there's another passage here that talks about maturity and just how, how maturity is invaluable, right? In Ephesians chapter 4, Beginning at verse number 11, it says that, you know, this is who God has given to the church. He's given the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. And uh, the reason that he gives us these is so that they can equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. And when that happens, we'll be able to attain the unity of faith and all of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the ways, cared about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. So once more we see maturity being invaluable to the church. Now this doctrine of the human cunning, right, the craftiness of deceitful schemes by which children are tossed to and fro, these are talking about false teachings and false teachers who are caring about by these winds of doctrine. Now, who can help us to avoid being deceived by false teachers in their teachings? God provides the church with teachers, evangelists, and shepherds, and pastors to build up the body of Christ. You know, that's why when your pastor preaches on Sunday morning, you ought to follow up his sermon by studying what he says that week. Just read it throughout the week so that you can get stronger in your faith. Now, don't go it alone. Get into a small group, and that will help you to grow in your faith as well. You see, we need the church's leadership and its teaching so we get beyond the milk of the word, and then we get into the meat, and this creates discernment so that we can avoid deceitful schemes and the craftiness of the enemy. You know, when I think about the ability to mature in our faith, God gives us everything that we need to be mature. Well, let me look at another passage here. Let's turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 16 through 18. Peter writes, There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable, and and they twist it to their own destruction, as they do with other scriptures. So he's talking about the Word of God, and he says there's some that are hard to understand. Now, I think that the Lord does this intentionally, that he doesn't want those who are not true followers of Christ, who haven't been filled with the Spirit, to not be able to see the deeper meanings of God's Word. And so those who don't understand these things, if they're not truly born again, 
It says here that they will be ignorant and they're unstable, and they're going to twist the word to their own destruction, as they do with other scriptures. But he says, beloved, knowing this beforehand, he says, you know this is going to happen, right? You know there's going to be false teachers out there. You know there's going to be apostates out there. He says, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, and that you don't lose your own stability, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So here Peter tells us, you know, the Bible in spots is difficult to understand. And those who are ignorant of Scripture, they're going to take it out of context. They're going to twist it around. And one way to avoid this is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. That means that we have a sincere understanding of the Word of God, that we need to be in the Word, and that we need to understand that the Bible is what will set doctrinal errors apart. So today, I want to encourage you. Get involved in a good Bible-believing church. If you don't have a good Bible-believing church, why don't you come to Hickory Ridge Community Church? We do small groups throughout the week so you can grow in your faith. We have worship that is based upon God's Word every Sunday. And so we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045. Come on and join us. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. If there's anything that I can help you with, shoot me a text or give me a call, 252-267-2365. And just leave me a voicemail or shoot me a text. I'd love to help you. Love to pray for you. Thank you so much for listening to broadcast today. God bless you. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.